Morning, everyone. Let me get myself ready here. All right, we're in Matthew 5, so you can, if you've got your Bibles out, you can turn them on. I'll look them up while I get arranged. Um, okay, before we start, uh, let me just say this. We, um, we lost the Queen um, recently, who was a Jesus follower. And so at that level, we go, praise God for her life and for her legacy. And that when she got the chance, um, she said those words out loud in her, the way she served her people. She tried to live that out. No one's perfect, but we're grateful that our monarch was a Jesus follower and was happy to say that. And, um, and so we just, um, some of us have been feeling that more than others across the community. We just wanted to pause and acknowledge that, that, um, that uh, you know, that's uh, 96 years. Um, that's a life well lived and um, we hope that she's hearing those words well done good and faithful servant and we hope that her life inspires you if you're a if you like the monarchy and if you especially if you uh, follow her and respect her life we hope it inspires you to follow Jesus also all right we're in our holiday series uh, react these are supposed to be short messages but um you yeah I'm excited about it so don't hold me to that uh, who likes uh, jigsaw puzzles? Oh, I love jigsaw puzzles. I do jigsaw puzzles uh, a lot of the time. Um, I can listen to um, whatever I want to, podcasts or music or whatever, and do the mindless activity of trying to solve jigsaw puzzles. What is the most annoying thing in the world is when you get to the end of the puzzle and there's a piece missing. Um, what's even more annoying is when you have scoured, because I'm very careful, I open the thing and, I, and I've got a jigsaw table and all the pieces go out and I check around it, there's, the floor around it is uncluttered so I can see anything that drops and I, I move it all out into colours and the edges and I work it all the way back in to the middle so I know that all of the pieces that were in the box came out of the box and none of them have departed from the table surface. So if I get to the end of the puzzle and one's missing, I've, I've, oh, despite the fact that I've already spent about an hour looking for the stupid thing, something's got to go there, right? So I get to the end and it's missing and I'm under the, you know, no one vacuum this room, I'm under the tables and the chairs and everywhere and then it turns out, it turns out that somebody halfway through my puzzle put that piece underneath the lamp on the table, like 50 <laughs> centimetres from my... Let me just say my response to that discovery was disproportionate. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you ever overreact? Do you ever overreact? Um, if you followed me around as a parent of preschoolers, you would have seen a litany of overreactions. <laughs> Especially in the supermarket. Why do kids have to do that in the supermarket? Kids can hit your tired, emotionally drained buttons so easily. But it's not just kids. In the office, in the boardroom, in the kitchen, what pushes your buttons? Um, for my wife, if the fry pan goes in the Tupperware drawer or if something goes in the wrong space, sometimes we get a disproportionate reaction. <laughs> for me, if I... 
get to my coffee machine in the morning and it's not clean. Somebody's left the dirty thingo on the coffee machine. Anyway, what triggers your buttons? <laughs> when are you likely to um, overreact? Now, parents with your children. What behavior just gets at you? You know, sometimes when you're a kid, they're just being a kid, but you think, I'm the emotionally um, immature one in this interaction here because of my reaction. And kids, what about what triggers you from your parents, from your mum and your dad? When do you go, phew, and slam doors and... When do you overreact? What triggers you? And here's the thing about overreactions. Usually, you would say, I was right, but I was right. Like, who hides a jigsaw piece? Or whatever. I was right. But I was so right, I was over right. And now I'm apologizing for the way that I was right because I was wrong in the way that I was right. <laughs> so why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about reactions and overreactions? Um, because of this. Actions speak louder than words, but reactions speak louder than either. Our actions don't tell the whole story. We all know how to behave when things are okay. Uh, look at us here. All of us, we're very well behaved. Are we always this well behaved? No. <laughs> we know how to do nice and kind and respectful. We can listen well. We can even defer to another person. We can say, oh, I think that might be a more valid opinion in this situation than mine. When we're feeling safe and comfortable. But when things don't go my way, when I didn't get what I wanted, when somebody else got the credit for my work, when I get disrespected in my own home, when I'm offended or insulted, that's when what's inside of me comes out, sometimes um, in little ways, um, sometimes in very destructive ways. Actions speak louder than words, reactions speak louder than either. And Jesus wants us to master the art of the unexpected, radical, underreaction. Not just that we wouldn't react the way that we, you know, want to react or, or tend to react, but that we would react so far in the opposite direction. Not just that we wouldn't react, but that we'd react in a way that was in the opposite direction. Like that we would have an underreaction, but like an over reaction but in the other way so an over under reaction which is a great word I actually um, got that word from Andy Stanley who I first heard preach on this text um, and I think it's a brilliant term over under reaction that's what Jesus wants us to master the art of the over under reaction listen to this teaching Jesus Matthew 5 uh, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount um, now Jesus may have uh, stood on the side of this hill and delivered this whole message in one hit. It's possible. It's, but he also, if he did that, he also delivered this sermon multiple times over many years. This is the core teaching, if you like, of Jesus. So his disciples will have heard this over and over and over again. So in case you're thinking, oh, that was just one thing Jesus said once. No, this is core to the message of the, for the followers of Jesus, this content. You, this is Jesus. You have heard the law that says the punishment much, must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. To which we say, 
Yeah, we already know that. That's the way the world works, isn't it? It feels like common sense. Do to others what they do to you. That's just expected. No one's surprised when somebody does to others what that other person did to them. In fact, people will cheer you on if you do to others what they did um, to you. Especially if you win. (laughs) So if you hurt my friend and she gets back at you, I'll be like, yes. Well done. If I'll celebrate with you if you return eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Um, you know when you recount conversations you've had with someone who's just annoying? They're just annoying. And you're telling your friend, you go, well, I said this stuff, and then I said this. <laughs> End of conversation. That's what I did. Everyone goes, yeah. You gave it to them. Or when somebody's really high and mighty and they put everyone else down, and they just, they, you know, they're that kind of like arrogant, and then they fall over flat and they get egg on their face everywhere. It's fantastic. It's just the way the world works, isn't it? Jesus says, I know. But I say, this is Jesus, I say, do not resist an evil person. Now, don't misunderstand this. Jesus is not talking about violence or self-defense here. He's not talking about protection. Because uh, self-defense, protection is instinctive for us and healthy to protect yourself doesn't unlove the person who's attacking you, right? Jesus is talk, not talking about protection. He's talking about retaliation, responding in kind. He's saying, I don't want you to react in evil ways. When evil comes at you, I want to, you to react. I don't want you to react in kind. I don't want you to react like everybody else. In fact, when evil comes at you like that and you're tempted to react like everyone else, this is an opportunity you as my followers instead he says don't resist an evil person instead if someone slaps you on the right cheek offer the other cheek also this is where we get our phrase turn the other cheek if someone slaps you on the right cheek offer the other cheek also now again this is not wow somebody's just like punched me in the face and i'm just standing there passively with my hands by my side saying just hit me again this is not an invitation to abuse Jesus is not talking about violence here, he's talking about insult. That's why he says if someone slaps you on the right cheek, because people primarily are right-handed, and, and the readers of the ancient world would know this, if you wanted to get up in someone's face and insult them, discredit them, dismiss them, disrespect them, you would take your hand and you would go like that on their face. It's like the gauntlet thing that you see in um, some cultures. It's just, it, it's just like, it's offense, it's insult. Someone whacks you like that, just turn the other cheek, Jesus says. When someone calls you out, publicly puts you down, offends you, Jesus says, when somebody insults you like that, baits you like that, or dis- disrespects you like that, that's your opportunity for an over under reaction. Just turn the other cheek. You can insult me again if you like. You can disrespect me all day. I won't rise to that. I won't respond to you like you came at me because I'm a Jesus follower. He goes on. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. At this point, the crowd's going, what? Like, no. So these Roman soldiers, the, the text is, doesn't actually say soldier, but which um, it's rendered this way in the New Living. It's trying to get at this when the Roman authority 
Um, so these are, these are people who have been conquered by the Romans. And they're doing their um, day-to-day lives. But any Roman official is allowed to, by law, come up to you and go, I know you're busy with your family. I know you're busy with your crops. I know you're busy fixing that thing. But I need you to walk a thousand paces with me. And you are compelled by law to comply. You have to drop what you're doing and walk. And the people, they hate it. It's just a mark that, they are, that they're not masters of their own land, um, that they're, they're subservient to someone else, that they're second-class citizens. It's indented servitude. They hate it. So when Jesus says, if you get compelled to walk a thousand steps, everyone's like, yeah, we hate those guys. Offer to go too. You know, you can feel the crowd going, we're not going to do that. No. Jesus pushes harder. He goes, give to those who ask. And don't turn away from those who want to borrow. These people lived in communities, rich and poor, side by side. The normal expected of... There is a normal expected level. There's welfare and there's generosity, but it's to a level that everybody understands and expects that way. And Jesus says, I want you to go so far past it that people go, what? I want you to exceed the normal levels of generosity so that people are like surprised by your over-under reaction. My followers, Jesus says, will be radically generous so that people who ask for a bit will get more than they ask for and people who come to borrow will get terms that shock them. Really? What? All of it? Like that kind of like, oh my God, that is so different than the kind of terms or generosity or anything that we've seen before. When somebody asks you for money or somebody wants to borrow money, it's an opportunity for your over-under reaction. So that someone would go, I can't believe that person did that for me. That disadvantages them massively. And then they would say, no, no, it doesn't because I'm a Jesus follower. If you're not uh, uncomfortable yet, you haven't been listening. I was squirming before I finished reading this. Jesus summarizes it like this. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Um, We go, we don't need to hear that law. We just know that. You love your friends, your crew, your family, the people you work with. You like the people who are like you and who like you. And if they don't like you, you just don't like them back. That's just the way the world works, right? But I say, (laughs) Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And when we say enemies, I don't mean like the violent aggressor in another country. I mean the person who disrespected you. The person who dismisses you, the person who overlooks you, the person who puts you down, the person who casts you out of their social group, that person. Jesus says, I say, love them. That doesn't mean like, I want you to feel all warm and fuzzy about that person. And you're like, this is like, treat them as if they're not your enemy. In your, in your actions towards them, in your motives towards them, in what you want for them, treat them as if they're in your crew. Love your enemies. And pray for who? Let's be honest. Most weeks, some of us don't even get through the people that we like in our prayers, right? 
And, and Jesus, you want me to pray for that guy who did that to me by name? You want me to name him in my prayers? And not like the kind of, yeah, I'll pray for him. I'll get the Psalms out and go, yeah, Lord, this one, slam him and, and kill his descendants. And, you know, those Psalms that really go hard at that. No, not those prayers. This is pray for them, love them, pray for their good, want for their good. Name that guy and want good for him, Jesus says. This is your over-under reaction. Who would do that? Who lives like this? Who would take this weird position in relationships? Who would think this way? Jesus says, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Who would? Your Father would. And does. How does our Father react to our insults and our pride and our posturing and egos and defiance? By sending Jesus. So we heard that, like, Ads told us this morning in communion. In love, by sending Jesus to us. He's like, they killed everyone else I send, so I'll send my son. How does Jesus react? Jesus is God revealed, right? We've spoken about this a few weeks ago. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. He is God's character and nature revealed. The things that God wants, you can see in the person of Jesus. How does Jesus react? They hated him. They hated him, so he died for them. Who lives like this? God does. You know who else lives like this? Children of God do. How will my family know what God is like? How will my colleagues catch a glimpse of what God is like? How will my neighbors and my haters and my enemies catch a glimpse of what their Father in heaven is like. They'll catch a glimpse of the Father in heaven when they see me and you. And not just in our charitable acts of service or the, or the ways that we kind of are nice to people when things are going well, but when things don't go our way and we over-underreact because that's what our Father does. When things don't go his way. Actions speak louder than words. Reactions scream. Whose children we are. You think, people I love, people I'm mixing with all day, I just want them to know Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. I tell you, this is the, this is the best way. Because it's when people expect anger and revenge and they get forgiveness. Like, not slowly, not like, oh, I can finally let go of this, but like that. When they feel like you should still hold something against them, but you don't. The debt is cancelled. You over-underreact to that insult to you. That's what your father's like. What? They just forgave me? When they expected judgment and scorn and 
to be pushed aside, but they get included and accepted. Rapidly included. And they get helped. And they know that people are for them, even though all that they've done against... Like, what? Or when they expected to be patronized or ignored and they get generosity. And you know that feeling where you go, what, you're giving it to me, but I treated you... And you just, like, really? Wow, that... I want the people around me to experience my father, their father in heaven. Jesus presses this home. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. Do that much. If, you, if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from everyone else? Even pagans do that. See, the thing is, if we react like everybody else, then we're just like everyone else. <laughs> but we're not. We're children of our Father in heaven. And Jesus finishes like this. But you, if you love only those who love you, what reward's there for that? You are to be perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect how? Perfect in the way I react like my Father in heaven. Um, it's not like, you better do that now. It's like, this is what I'm offering for you, Jesus says. That you would, you would receive this resource from me. That you would know this relationship with the Father that I know. That you would have this capacity and this desire to over-underreact. This is what I want for you, that you could be perfect. That is your destiny to be ultimately perfect, not in this life, but towards that in this life, right? Where we just get more like that, even as our Father in heaven is perfect. So every insult, every offense, every slight, every time we're triggered or get our hackles up, it's an opportunity to over-underreact so we can show people our Father in heaven. Uh, next week and the week after, we'll unpack how this is possible and what resources are available to us in this space because um, we're going to stay on this theme. But for now, I want us to uh, think of a time or occasion or relationship where you would normally overreact. <laughs> so imagine that in your workplace, in your home, with your kids, with your parents, with your brother or your sister, your friends at school, where you, where you might be triggered to overreact and think, what would it look like if I over-underreacted? in that situation. Um, and just be prepared for it this week. God, today, help me to over-underreact. And then, if it worked, <laughs> as in if you did that, then can you email me, let me know that you did that? Because I would love to stand up here next week and say, I had a selection of four or five stories of people who had a crack at this, and I've picked this one anonymously to, to feed back to our crew. So if you had a crack at over-underreacting, I'm not going to shame you or name you or highlight you or anything like that. But no, it would be good to hear. It would be good to encourage each other with us um, doing this stuff that Jesus says, do this um, for our lives. So um, it would be great to hear from you uh, as we have a crack at becoming over-underreactors. Let's pray. Um,
Father, this is hard. It's hard to do. Um, it's, um, it's challenging for us. It's, it's counterintuitive for us. Um, I pray that you help us to, to trust you enough to try. God, I pray that you help us to believe in you and to, um, to, to think, well, Jesus said to do this, so I'm going to try it. God, give us that obedience um, so that it's in the front of our minds and so when we are confronted, when we are insulted, when we are offended, when we are triggered, God, that you would prompt us then, over, under, react, over, under, react. Like my Father in heaven. Do this in our hearts, we pray, Jesus. Amen.